Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. So I want to talk about temperance and intergenerational communication. Now that's a lot of words, but it's an overlay that we can use to think about the times that we're in. It's not often addressed in communicating the challenges that we are facing. But first, let's back it up. Let's say a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this day and this opportunity to talk about important things about communicating with one another. Please let my words please you and help our listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. In previous episodes, I hinted a little bit at ostracism, and in one in particular, when we talked about phobia and fear and how people can tend to use ostracism without realizing it sometimes as an economic method. And this is not something that we normally think about or seems natural. In fact, for some, it might be offensive because we think, well, we earned and we worked hard and we built up what we have, and there's nothing wrong with the way that we've gone about it, and there's nothing wrong with our character. This is not an episode to moralize any of that. The focus on this episode will be to talk about temperance. Temperance seems to be missing today, does it not? Whatever quote-unquote side someone may be on, that seems to give a sense of justification. It justifies our offense, our giving and receiving offense. And neighborliness, peace and goodwill and all decency goes out the window. Of course, with some things, it seems unlikely that it's even possible to approach neighborliness and decency because with some matters such as racism, sexism, childism, other forms of social violence and actual physical violence, those things, these are topics that you really don't want to mince words over. In scripture, it talks about the old man in a city who saved a city through his wisdom. More than an army could save a city, his wisdom alone saved the city. In Proverbs, it talks about the wise being able to save a city from destruction, from wrath. These times we see a lot of wrath, and whether or not the wrath is justified, the point is, is that there is definitely a lack of temperance in our public and even possibly personal dialogue and conversation. This can happen in ministry too and from the pulpits when people feel they have the moral authority on a topic, they can swing left or right or down between and you might feel like there's a sense of hostility even in their words and therefore the message is not really accessible. Now why is it? What happens when a message is not accessible? One way a message is not accessible is when the person who's giving the message or persons comes across or is being hostile or aggressive in some way. What does that do? Now, there's different forms of being hostile and aggressive. Some are overt, some are covert. You might know of some people in your life who try to manipulate or coerce a conversation or you in or out of it. And some people are just more blunt and abrupt and difficult to speak with. And what is it that you feel in your body in those moments? What body check do you do? Do you notice that you feel anxious or that you want to pull back your face or take a literal step back from this person, those are indications that there 
triggering your sympathetic nervous system, that you're having a sense that, okay, danger, danger, this is an opportunity to fight, flight, freeze, fawn, or etc. with this person to try to get out of this conversation. When Jesus spoke with people, take a look at his style. What did he do? There were times when he was abrupt and he was slightly blunt with people, and that was usually with the religious elite who thought that they knew everything, and he wanted to call them out. But even then, he was aware that the crowd that was listening to him was not like that and was possibly in the process of learning. And he would use parables and other methods to communicate his message. Of all people, he had every right to be offended at our state, especially the way that we treated him. Take a look what he did. He healed so many people. He rose them from the dead. And what did people do? Did they throw him a party or welcome him home or thank thank him for his service? No, no, of course not. The political elite washed their hands of him literally and ordered him for a state-assisted murder, a crucifixion on a cross. And the religious elite with their lackey mob asked that the political elite do that. They found a loophole in their law that said, oh, y'all can't kill somebody. You can't shed innocent blood. So then we'll have another nation state do it. And this was a very messy situation. This is a messy situation when we start talking about the function of a behavior. In this case, the function of how they were communicating and what they were doing. The function that it served. What function did it serve for the Pharisees, for instance, to ask the political leader, in this case Pontius Pilate, to crucify Jesus? And you can find these accounts in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your Bible. Or there are many Bible apps or Bibles online if you don't have one. This idea of a function is really important when we want to talk about temperance and when we want to talk about strife and when we want to talk about systems that are triggering those things. I discuss in my books one of the functions of ostracism, and the function of ostracism is something very powerful, and I've described in previous episodes about how it can go back to the original temptation in the garden with Satan, and you can check back on some of those to understand some of those heavy topics a little bit better. In this case, the function of ostracism for the generations might be something like power holding or wealth hoarding. Now, we know in the pandemic, lots of people initially hoarded toilet paper, and some of those people did that to sell it at a higher rate, and that was pretty challenging and unnecessary, was it not? The book of Ecclesiastes is pretty blunt and in your face about the challenge of wealth. The scriptures say that once you acquire wealth, it will soon gain wings and fly away. And Ecclesiastes basically says, mortality, mortality is everywhere. What's the point of having fun, making money, or any of those things? And the writer of that book, the writer of great wisdom, King Solomon, at the end, you know, he concludes with what the purpose is, which is to enjoy the work of our hands with the life God has given us to do things to the glory of God. 
Jesus brought this perspective on wealth forward in his parable of the rich fool who had acquired so much wealth and put them all in his silos that he felt that his life was set and he could relax with ease and do what he wanted. Now, one has to wonder, how did he use that wealth? The book of James talks about that a bit. There seemed to be some partiality going on, some favoritism about who was wealthy and who wasn't and who could sit in the front row at church and who couldn't. So you see all of these, what seem to be petty manifestations of ostracism can come out in ministry and in our everyday life. There's an injustice with that, though, and also a futility that the author of Ecclesiastes points out. And so to Jesus, in his parable of the rich fool, God says, you fool this night, this very night, your soul is required of you, and now who will away your wealth? In the parable of the rich fool, you find that, well, it's probably the people that he defrauded to get that. It's possibly the people that were in need of things, and everyone came and hauled his stuff away. Contrast this to Zacchaeus. Jesus came to town, and Zacchaeus was a tax collector who was short in stature, and he wanted to see Jesus. So, as the song goes, he climbed up into the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down from going to your house today. And it's interesting, the response of the crowd, they grumbled and they were angry about this. Why is he going to go to the house of a sinner? I want his attention. I've done everything right. So there's this self-righteousness versus this seeming offense of sin. And in this case, he had defrauded people. He had stolen from them and bribed them, and he got wealthy through that method. Maybe you're going paycheck to paycheck, or you've been promoted, or you've worked really hard, and that wealth and discretion is not obvious in the way you've managed yours. Maybe you've managed your wealth with integrity, and it doesn't seem like any of these words match your situation. But let me encourage you to just focus on Zacchaeus' response to Jesus. When Jesus spent time with him, that meant something to him. It meant something, like in the story of Mary and Martha, that couldn't be taken away from him. And he said, Lord, I'm going to give back fourfold of what I've stolen from my neighbor. And Jesus said, after that, he said, today salvation has come to this house. And I find that interesting. It's for by grace we're saved through the Lord's work. It's not our works and not of ourselves. But what Zacchaeus was manifesting was that he was changed by being in a relationship, by being in the presence of Jesus And that change led to a transformation of his life that he wanted to make right and repair where he had erred with others. Bringing this all back to generations and temperance, what does this have to do with those? Currency does not replace relationship. Let me say that again. Currency does not replace relationship. Currency of any kind. Now you might say, well, it helps. It certainly helps. You know, you can buy food and a house or or a place to live. You can go on dates and you can go down this long list of where you think currency can help relationships. I'm not meaning those details, but I think you get my point that there's a difference when we are in the presence of someone who really truly loves us and who is also able to help. There are many people that you might encounter in life, and you might yourself be one from time to time where you care about someone, but you might feel powerless to help them. Well, Jesus is not. 
He's a great healer. And at the end of the day, all I want to do is to be able to flourish and live and fulfill the calling he's given me and take joy with the life he's given with me and the people who are living that life with me. I love the passages in Psalm 91 to 94 that talk about the protection and safety of God, that talk about flourishing in our old age, being green and making growth and bearing fruit in his house, in his courts, and that also say that he will not forsake his heritage. The Lord God will not forsake his heritage. That means he is faithful to the generations. What if we've been doing things inside out? What if turning things right side out means being more about leading with a love and neighborliness for the generations instead of what we might hold on to against or for them? And this is interesting because here we crop in what I go into a bit in previous episode on terror management theory about phobia, this reality of mortality that Ecclesiastes attaches to wealth and pleasure and other pursuits in this life. And in in this day and age, it could also be achievements. It could be that next degree or that drive to produce. I know that that has been a challenge for me to slow down and be more in the moment and not be pushing forward in my life with these different goals but spreading out my projects and pacing them in such a way where I can restore margins in between them and be more healthy and hopeful and engaged with my life instead of trying to juggle so many different things. Now we're getting closer to temperance. Temperance is this idea that we can tone it down. We can turn the volume down. We can slow it down. A good hack is to just slow it down. And strangely, I don't know about you, but I don't seem to like that very much. It's much easier just to barrel through with your intention. But I think that's part of our conditioning. I don't think that that's necessarily a personal or character flaw. I think that there's a lot of rushing about and hurrying in our world, a sense of false and prolonged urgency that gives you a fear that you might be missing out or falling behind We know as moms, for instance, if we're a stay-at-home mom, we might worry we're missing out on finishing our work goals. If we're a working mom outside of the home, we might think or fear that we're missing out on our child's growing up. And this is not a moralization of either of those things. It's just to acknowledge that this sense of urgency doesn't always serve. Anytime you can dial it down, you're engaging the parasympathetic nervous system, the imagination, the relaxation, the curiosity, the rest and digest that we need to thrive and flourish. Notice that in the beginning, it goes into how God makes a garden and it's a garden of flourishing. Now he does it in a six day plus one day rest cycle. And so it's not either or, it's not work, 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 and no play, and it's not play, 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 and no work. There's a sense that there's a rhythm to life. And when you go out and look at nature, the ebb and flow of the tide, the birds that chirp in the morning, the breeze that buffets the leaves, you get this sense that there's more to life, that there's a rhythm to things. And we might just be out of sync from that rhythm if we're living to forward pace. Now, 
when it comes to temperance and intergenerational communication, putting all this together, how are we communicating with one another in temperance? What does the overlap of how we've done things in the past and the change that people are asking for in the present, what vision are we moving towards for that future and those things? And how is it that those two different things, what one generation might say is needed and what another might say is needed to change. We have this tension between staying the same and changing. And I sometimes wonder if part of the challenge in our times, because the forms of ostracism, how they manifest, whether that's racism, sexism, childism, and so forth, we find that manifest in public legislation over over weapons or over funding or over things like food and schools. These tend to arise as these surprisingly contentious topics when the temperate discussion would be more on what is needed for their basic needs of the generations, what is needed to integrate a safe love in the generations, what legacy are we wanting to leave our children's children's children, at least, to the third and fourth generation? What are we hoping for for our future? And also one question that doesn't get often asked, especially in coaching, because we try to keep it so positive to organizational scholarship or leadership. But one of the questions would be, what are we were you afraid of? What's the fear? And I think sometimes people don't necessarily know but you can get a clue based on the behavior of what they're trying to protect. And the way of life as we've built it is a certain way of life that is not working out. There's a lot of challenges with sustainability and where's more land and then a lot of strife, a lot of conflict, a lot of repair needed over some very big and heavy and challenging situations in our society here in the United States and also around the world. In previous episodes, I go into this when I talk about intergroup violence and some of the solutions of how to resolve those or approach those or at least understand them. What I hope to impress today is the importance to view things through a layered lens. Cameras have filters. As a photographer, I have a UV filter on my lens. It's pretty standard to put one on there. And that way, if you drop the camera, it saves the main lens, uh, which I have not done, by the way. But it also filters out the UV light. It's one of the more basic filters. But there's more you can attach to it. There's polarizing filters and other types of filters that people play around with to add stars or different effects or different colors to their images. Well, sometimes things are not as they seem. We might think we're arguing about X, Y, or Z over here, but it really could be that maybe we're just afraid that that we're getting older or that there will be an impact to our way of life or that the biggest fear, if you follow the fears, is that we're going to die. And so one thing I love and appreciate about the message of Jesus is he addresses all of these and he doesn't do it in a trite manner. He doesn't do it in hostility. He does it as an invitation. When you're approaching the times that we're in, if it is true that the United States is a 50% split, 
What are you assuming when you go into a conversation with people about these challenging topics of these different manifestations of ostracism, of the challenge of growing older, of the illness or challenges that can affect that? These are day-to-day things in our lives that have stories, that have real lived experiences that invite us to have a conversation about compassion or with peace and goodwill, I believe that the gospel of Jesus is both individual and both systems, that he will be saving all and making all things new. If it were just the individual, it would have stopped at his death, resurrection, and ascension, and it wouldn't have promised that he's coming back to make the world new. There would be no promise, no invitation, no herald of the angels for peace and goodwill on earth and favor of God for all upon whom his favor rests. There would be no joy and celebration over that at the birth of Jesus. So I want to invite you to this idea of temperance, this behavior for temperance in our own lives of slowing down, of inviting peace and goodwill into yourself and in your conversations with others. And what do you need to do today to slow it down, to take care of yourself, take care of those who are in your inner circle so that you can be in a position to influence those outer circles as needed or even to ask them for support. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this time to talk about these big topics of temperance and intergenerational communication. I pray for peace, goodwill, harmony, more benevolence, and certainly more temperance in our daily lives as we're facing and encountering so many challenges that are asking us to speed up. And I pray against the spirit of fear. I pray for power and love and a transformed mind and life, transformed spirit in all of us, that we can better live together with the joy and the harmony that you promise you will bring. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below and inquire, subscribe, and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree. 